Welcome to Todd's World. Thanks for joining us. I'm Todd Allen. Today we begin the second season of Insurrection with episode one, An Unexpected Friend. Beth and Gray are back. We pick up the story where we last saw them. They had settled in for a long drive while being followed by a local cop who recognized them at Randy's restaurant. If you haven't listened to season one of Insurrection, you really should. All of the episodes and companion podcasts are available. This is an original audio fiction series. It's available on Apple, Spotify, Supercast, or wherever you get podcasts. New episodes drop every Monday. And the companion podcast where Will and Carrie join me to talk about that week's episode drops on Wednesdays. I really encourage you to listen to the companion podcast too. We have a lot of fun and it really does add a lot to the show. So come back Wednesday and check that out. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok at Todd's World 2023. Also on Truth Social at the Todd Allen Show. I post short clips of the latest episodes and podcasts. So check those out. Send the clips to your family and friends. Let's work together to expand the reach of this show. The fusion of fiction and podcasts. Also check out toddsworld.net where all the cool insurrection and witness merch is available. We also have some original designs of some Trump 2024 merch. So check that out. It's all available today. Our other story is witness a fictional series about the end times and the paperback for witness season one is available this week on Amazon. So get your copy today. Click on the link and subscribe to the show if you haven't. Thanks so much to everyone who subscribes and supports this show. It is an absolute joy and privilege to be able to enjoy these stories together with all of you. Right now, Will is already trying to fast forward through this introduction, but I want to take a second and give you a quick summary of the first season of Insurrection in case you're just joining us. It's October 2024. Donald Trump is once more ascendant when the deep state finally pulls the trigger and assassinates him. That act is the final red line for Group Alamo, a secret paramilitary group with an underground base located in the remote northern wilderness of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Beth Graves was one of the only witnesses to Trump's plane being shot out of the sky, and she is on the run with Gray Wills her stepfather, and a former special operations commander. Eli Crane is the commander of Group Alamo, and in addition to beginning the purge of the American deep state through targeted killings and kidnappings, he recruits Jake Gunn to manage the public relations side of the budding insurrection. After multiple attacks in the span of just a few days, At the end of Season 1, Group Alamo launches nearly 200 cruise missiles at deep state targets up and down the east and west coasts. As always, this is a work of fiction. All names, characters, businesses, places, and events, even those based on real people or events, are entirely fictional. The sole product of the author's unrivaled imagination. 
any resemblance to actual persons living or dead is purely coincidental and fictional. And although it's a hell of a lot of fun, we never promote or encourage violence. Now, for the first episode of the second season of Insurrection. Season 2, Episode 1, An Unexpected Friend He had been tailing Grace and Will's jeep for nearly an hour, keeping a healthy distance between himself and his target, but staying close enough to make sure he didn't lose them. He relaxed once it became apparent he was in for something of a ride. He had turned on the radio to keep him company, and 30 minutes in, Ryan wished he had thought to grab a six-pack to go from Randy's. A few roadies would have been a welcome addition to his adventure, but he made do with his water bottle instead. He also hadn't taken the time to pee at the restaurant before he left. Luckily, he hadn't been there long enough to drink more than one tall boy. It appeared Grayson Wills and Beth Graves had traveled a long way from home for dinner that night. Trooper Ryan Nehan had been with the Michigan State Police for just over 10 years. He'd done a brief stint in Detroit just after graduation, but had transferred back up to the UP within a year and a half. He'd grown up in Crystal Falls, and when he transferred back, he was based out of the Iron Mountain Post, which put him close to home. His transfer had been granted in large part due to his mother's declining health. His father had left when Ryan was 12, but he hadn't been much of a father up to that point anyway. And he didn't go far, just moved into a small apartment over top of an old five-and-dime store downtown, which had eventually transitioned into one of the many cannabis shops that popped up all over the state when Michigan had legalized recreational marijuana use in 2018. He had been a hopeless alcoholic since the age of 16, to the point Ryan had very few memories of his father sober. For the most part, Fred Nehan lived from drink to drink, but he was a fairly happy drunk, at least. He didn't hit Ryan or his mom. He even managed to hold down a fairly steady job on the county road crew. Turns out, as long as you don't crash a snowplow into an unsuspecting vehicle and kill someone, the county DOT wasn't too worried about a few nips on the job. Filling potholes didn't exactly require high-end cognitive skills, and Fred fit that bill just fine. Rose Nehan had taught sixth-grade English at the local public school for 32 years until she had noticed a trembling in her right hand she found difficult to control. She ignored the symptoms as long as she could, hoping they would go away on their own, but then the trembling spread to her right hand, and she was diagnosed with Parkinson's disease. Rose Nehan retired from teaching a year later. She had continued living on her own even as her symptoms steadily worsened, but
but about 14 months ago, she had fallen down the back steps and Ryan had moved her into one of the spare bedrooms in his own home so he could look after her. Ryan rounded a curve in the highway and checked for the round taillights of the Jeep in the distance. They were still there, about a quarter of a mile ahead in the darkness, cruising along at a steady 60 miles an hour. Ryan rubbed his eyes and wished again he had some cold beer to keep him company. But as they say, wish in one hand, shit in the other, and see which one fills up first. Ryan sighed. What the hell was he doing anyway, following these two strangers through the sparsely populated forest of the UP? The bulletin from the FBI had specifically said not to make contact. They must have had their reasons. Typically, such bulletins listed crimes the suspects were wanted in conjunction with. But this particular bulletin had been especially cryptic. He was off-duty, out here tailing the suspects in the dark with no backup or cover of any sort. Ryan Nehan had been a trooper long enough to know all the ways this could go bad on him if he wasn't careful. Not for the first time since he had turned east out of Randy's restaurant to follow Grayson Wills and Beth Graves, Ryan considered turning around and heading for home. What did he hope to accomplish anyway? He had no good answer for that question apart from his own curiosity. Another overused adage trotted through his mind. Curiosity killed the cat. Maybe. Or maybe cats just didn't have the sense to look both ways when crossing the busy road. Curious or not. Ryan felt himself getting slightly groggy, and he fished around in the center console till he found his vape pen and inhaled a cool shot of fresh nicotine into his lungs, then filled the truck's cab with white vapor as he exhaled. Never much of a smoker, he had picked up e-cigs a few years back to perk him up on long, lonely nights working traffic on the barely-traveled state highways of the UP. Where the hell are they going, anyway? he wondered. Just then, the right taillight of the jeep in the distance started blinking. Fifteen miles earlier, Gray made a decision. He had been toying with the idea since the restaurant earlier, but it was risky. If it went bad, it might get them both arrested, and in their particular circumstance, being arrested could very easily lead to being killed. Regardless, the feds would have them within hours, and from there they would likely fall off the map of the world never to return. But the upside was just as high. What if they could get off-duty cop Ryan alone, tell him Beth's story, and what if he actually believed them? Having a friend in local law enforcement could be wildly beneficial. The right friend could feed them real-time intel on the Fed's hunt for Beth, enabling them to stay a few steps ahead of their hunters. After mulling it over for 45 minutes, while leading Officer Ryan on a wild goose chase through the largely empty interior of the central UP, Gray decided it was worth the risk. Since they hadn't encountered any flashing lights or wailing sirens on their trip so far, Ryan had clearly decided to go it alone, which to Gray meant he was motivated more by curiosity than anything else, and Gray could work with curiosity. Beth had been quiet much of the ride, listening to the music, 
content to let Gray worry about the off-duty cop currently following them. She did glance at the mirror on the side of her door somewhat frequently, praying the cop would lose interest and turn off. But the headlights remained constant, trailing them in the darkness. Not too close, not too far. The Goldilocks of car tails. I have an idea, Gray said. Beth turned to look at him. I think we should try to talk to our new cop friend. Yeah? Just surrender ourselves to the good graces of the criminal justice system? Beth asked, unconvinced. No, no surrendering. But he's been following us for almost an hour. And he hasn't been joined by any friends. So that's a good sign he's at least not all that anxious to turn us in, Gray said. Then why is he following us? Beth asked, raising her voice without realizing it. She was more keyed up than she realized, and more afraid. Gray looked in the rearview mirror at the headlights behind them. I think he's curious, he said finally. Beth rolled her eyes. Curious how we look in handcuffs. Gray shook his head. I don't think so. I think he smells something fishy in whatever bulletin the feds put out on us. You have to remember, most cops were Trump supporters. He probably doesn't feel much differently about the federal government than we do. That doesn't mean he won't follow orders if push comes to shove, but we don't exactly look like we're pushing that hard against the system. So what's the plan? Beth asked. There's a small resort area by a lake that's off the beaten path. It would be a good place to stay if you're trying to get off the grid. The road back twists and turns, winding around through the woods before it dead ends at the cabins. He's giving us about a quarter mile buffer. Once we turn down the road leading back to the resort, I'll turn into a driveway or a clearing in the woods quick. Try to get out of sight of the road and kill the lights. Our cop friend will probably know the area and be familiar with the cabins. He'll assume we're staying at the resort. And since there is no other way out, he won't be in a hurry to get close behind us. That should give us the time we need to get you hidden in the woods with the guns and the cash. Wait, you want me to hide in the woods while you talk to the cop? Beth interrupted. In case something goes south, Gray began, trying to explain, but Beth cut him off again. No, she said flatly. I'm not doing that. I'm not leaving you. We talk to our buddy Ryan together, or we keep driving and come up with a different plan. Gray tried to interrupt her this time, but she held up a hand and stopped him. No, Gray. We're in this together now. He knows we left together. If you actually think we have a shot at this guy believing us, maybe even helping us, we have to approach him together. You think he's going to trust you if he's worried I'm hiding in the woods somewhere with a gun trained on him? That gave Gray pause, mostly because he knew she was right. The cop would already be on edge not finding them at the resort. He would be instantly on guard if they weren't together when they approached him. Finally, Gray shrugged. Okay, you make a good point. Same basic plan, but after he drives by us heading to the cabins, we pull back out onto the road blocking it. When we see his lights coming back, we'll get out and stand in front of the Jeep, facing him, together. Beth nodded. Okay, 
I hope you're right about this cat. Me too, Grace said. If you're wrong and things go the wrong way, what then? She asked. Grace sighed. Let's hope it doesn't come to that. He didn't say what that was, but he didn't have to. Beth got the idea, and as they passed the sign for the Loon Lake Resort and Cabins one mile ahead, she breathed deeply and tried to steel herself for the coming attractions. Ryan slowed down once he saw where they were headed. Loon Lake was out in the sticks, far from any towns or other civilization, perfect for someone trying to lay low and stay off the grid. He hung back, not wanting to alert them to the fact they were being followed. It crossed his mind that perhaps he should just call it in tomorrow, let the feds handle their own mess. But then he turned his pickup truck down the narrow gravel road leading back to the Loon Lake Resort. He'd come this far, after all, and Mama didn't raise no quitter. He'd taken it slow back to the resort. He wanted to give them time to get inside their cabin before he pulled in or drove by or did whatever the hell it was he was going to do. What exactly are you going to do anyway, Ryan, my boy? He asked himself, with no answer forthcoming. He was still batting his options around when he rounded the final turn, and his headlights lit up the seven small cabins nestled in the woods around the lake. Two of the cabins had lights on, and a vehicle parked outside, but the other cabins were dark and deserted, and there was no jeep in sight. Ryan frowned, and his brows became furrowed and heavy. What the hell? Where had Grace and Wills and Beth Graves gone? Ryan noticed a bad feeling rising from the vicinity of his gut. He picked up his off-duty pistol from the seat next to him and clipped it onto his belt. Something was wrong, and he didn't like being on the wrong end of a dead-end road when that realization finally surfaced. They must have made him, probably soon after they left the restaurant, which is why they took the scenic route. Ryan rounded the circular resort drive and headed back down the road in the opposite direction, driving slow, trying to sort out his next move. He checked his cell phone. Service was spotty all over the UP, but especially away from the lake shores. Of course, he had no signal at all on the lonely road leading to the Loon Lake Resort. Another frown. He didn't have many options. He could head back to the cabin resort and use a landline, call into the post and get some backup, but that would lead to questions about why he ignored the FBI's direction in the bulletin and followed them in the first place. And he didn't have any good answers. Curiosity wasn't exactly a gold-plated excuse. Ryan took a deep breath and kept driving. He would leave the same way he came because there was no other way out. He had no reason to believe Grayson Wills and his young girlfriend had any reason to try to harm him. You never knew for sure. If ten years in the state police had taught him anything, it was that. But still, they didn't feel like the type to ambush him on his way out and riddle his truck full of bullet holes. Most likely, they just wanted to give him the slip, which they had clearly done. And Grayson Wills and Beth Graves were probably long gone by now disappeared into the night, 
never to be heard from by Ryan again. He would go home, get some sleep, and report on his sighting to the post commander in the morning. The feds would handle it however they did. Ryan had talked himself into this rational turn of events and relaxed. So when he crested the final hill leading to the main road, and his headlights lit up the black Jeep Sahara blocking the road, Ryan Nehan braked hard and his breath caught in his throat. His eyes widened at first, then narrowed, and shock gave way to training. He took his foot off the brake and drove slowly forward, ready to mash the gas pedal at the slightest sign of a trap. He had his gun if he needed it, but at that moment his best weapon was his vehicle. He had rammed more than one bad guy with a cruiser in his time, but there would be no ramming that night. Instead, Trooper Ryan was surprised again when the Jeep's doors opened and Beth Graves climbed out and stood in front of the Jeep, bathed in the glow of his bright headlights. Then Grace and Wills walked around the front of the Jeep and joined her, and together they raised their hands to the oncoming vehicle, flashing the universal sign that they were unarmed and non-threatening. Ryan pulled his truck to within 30 feet of the Jeep and put it in park. He left the engine running and the lights on, and as he gripped the door handle with his left hand, he placed his other hand on his Glock 26 as he slowly climbed out of the truck. Nice night for a drive, the man called Grayson Wills said. Michigan State Police, Ryan answered. Gray smiled in the glare of the headlights. I kind of figured you were a law enforcement officer of some sort, he said. I'm fairly certain you already know our names, but just for the sake of formalities, I'm Gray Wills and this is Beth Graves. And since we're going in for formalities, we aren't currently armed and mean you no harm. Ryan knew better than to believe the stranger, but he believed him in spite of himself. If they wanted to hurt him, this wasn't the way to go about it. Then why are you blocking the road in the dark? Well... You followed us for almost an hour after we left the bar, and you weren't joined by any squad cars or flashing lights, so we thought maybe you just wanted to chat, Gray answered. Gray saw the cop visibly relax. His shoulders let down just slightly, and his hand no longer gripped the gun on his belt. You two certainly were enjoying the scenery tonight, Ryan said finally. I'm Ryan. Nice to meet you, Ryan, Gray said. Listen. It's a nice night out, but still on the nippy side. We aren't actually staying here. But what do you say we drive back to the resort and get a cabin for the night? At least we'll have someplace warm to talk. We can follow you back or you can follow us, whatever you're comfortable with. But I think you'll find our story interesting, to say the least. Ryan considered the man's proposal. There was no training for a situation like this. But then the manuals never anticipated an FBI so thoroughly corrupted no one on the ground could trust any information they put out. He defaulted to his gut, and his gut told him he could trust the man. Okay, let's get a cabin and talk. I'm guessing there's at least a good story in it for me, he said. I'll turn around and you can follow me back. Gray nodded and all three climbed back into their vehicles and made their way back to the Loon Lake Resort and cabins. Back in the safe confines of the Jeep, Beth finally breathed again. That went okay, she said. 
As good as I could, given the circumstances, Gray replied. I wish we had something to drink, Beth said. Gray looked over at her and flashed a knowing smile. I just happened to have a bottle tucked away in here somewhere for just such an occasion. With that, they turned and followed Ryan, the state trooper, back to the cabins. Tall trees arched over the gravel, and the narrow road wound through the darkness. It was almost ten. In a few hours, the world was about to change forever. Though no one on that winding gravel road that night leading to Loon Lake had any inkling about the crazy that was about to descend. The fifth of bourbon stood like a sentinel in the middle of the coffee table with an assortment of glasses and mugs surrounding it. The bottle was nearly half full, or empty depending on the perspective, and the fire gray had started in the wood stove 45 minutes earlier, had burned down while the three talked. With the introductions finished on the road in the glow of the headlights, Ryan had gotten down to business as soon as they were all seated. But though he started out as a cop in investigation mode, that passed quickly. As the liquor was poured and sipped, and Beth told her story, Ryan found he was captivated and horrified in almost equal measure. Like most Trump supporters, he assumed the former president's demise had somehow been orchestrated by his deep state enemies. But the brazen audacity of the attack still shocked him. Gray filled in a few of the details he had gathered along the way, but for the most part, he let Beth tell it. It was still hard for her, more than a week later, but she didn't cry, though her eyes still welled with tears at the worst parts. When she finally finished her sordid tale, silence spread over the tiny cabin, punctuated only by the sounds of ice on glass and crackling oak. State Trooper Ryan Nehan stared at his glass, lost in his own thoughts. Finally, he roused himself and sighed. That's a hell of a lot to take in, he said. Beth nodded and took a sip of bourbon. Try living it, she replied. Gray spoke up. I assume the feds put out a bulletin of some sort on us, which is why we are here. Ryan nodded this time. Weird email bulletin with your names and pictures, but no crimes you were suspected of. They were very specific about not making any contact with you, though. They only wanted information as to your whereabouts. That's what made me so suspicious. Apparently, the feds knew you'd try to ply me with liquor. He smiled, raising his glass. Gray raised his own glass and offered a toast. To the FBI, the world's most corrupt political police force. Hear, hear, Ryan joined in. And together with Beth, they drank to criminals with suits and badges. The devolution of the G-Men. Beth raised her glass again. How about a real toast? And now she stood. To Donald Trump, the people's president. America's last, best hope. Ryan and Gray both stood with her and raised their glasses. And together they were silent for a moment before they drank to their late beloved leader. When they were all seated again, and the drinks had been refilled, Ryan spoke. Of course I believe you both. Your story is harrowing, Beth. If you'll let me, I'd like to help you. If the feds start to tighten their net, they typically will call in some local help, and the state police would usually be at the top of that list. 
I may be able to help you stay a step or two ahead of them. He turned to Gray. I assume you're using burner phones. If we use them at all, yes. We try to stay off them altogether, Gray answered. And no credit cards, Ryan said. At least no cards tied to either of your real names. No credit cards at all, Gray said. We have prepaid check cards if we need them. All clean. Why did you risk going to the restaurant? Ryan asked. Gray gave Beth a sideways look, and Beth got defensive. Listen, I didn't do anything. I'm not a criminal. I wanted to go out and get some food and a beer like a normal person. Excuse me for not wanting to live like a fugitive. We drove an hour and a half away, so if things went south, we were outside of a 60-mile perimeter. I filled the tank just before Randy's in case something just like this happened, Gray offered. Ryan stood and walked over to the wood stove. The thing is, Beth, and I know how unfair this is, but fair or not, you are a fugitive. And if you want to live through the adventure, you need to accept that and start thinking like a fugitive, he said. Beth's eyes filled with tears, and when she tried to speak, her voice cracked with emotion. I'm supposed to live like a criminal on the run because those bastards killed my president? For how long, Ryan? How does this get fixed? Or doesn't it? Will the deepest, darkest parts of the federal government just lose interest in me after a year or two? She raised her voice, angry at both of them, though she knew the men were only trying to keep her alive. She was close to breaking down, but she held it together with raw anger and rage against the machine and all the assholes running it. Ryan sighed. He didn't have any good answer. He looked at Gray, but Gray only had eyes for Beth, and his eyes were filled with love and deep concern. Finally, Gray took another drink of his bourbon. Then he spoke. I've been thinking about this a lot, obviously. Beth's right. We can't outrun them forever. They'll never stop hunting her. What she knows, what she witnessed, is too important. It's not overstating it to say Beth's story could bring down the entire government, depending how deep the rot and corruption go. And based on what we know, it goes deeper than any of us have ever imagined. Somehow, Beth has to get her story out to the public. That's the only way she'll ever be safe and free again. Beth objected. But I don't have any proof. Just my word, and who's going to believe that? I do. Ryan offered, and that's not nothing. Ryan's right, Gray said. People will believe you because it's the truth, and deep down a lot of them already believe it, whether they admit it to themselves or not. Then why don't we just make a video and post it on Facebook or YouTube? Just get it out there, she asked. There's too much noise. You'll just be one more crazy chick with a wild story looking to go viral. People won't take it seriously that way, Ryan said. We need someone in power, someone of stature and influence, who isn't part of the deep state corruption who believes you. Someone the media and the public can't ignore or discredit, Gray said. Do such people even exist anymore, Ryan asked. We might as well start looking for a leprechaun or a unicorn. 
Grace stood and walked to the cabin's picture window, looking out into the darkness, brooding over the lake. They exist, somewhere out there. We just need to stay alive long enough to find them. And I can't go out for a beer until we do? Beth asked. You need to learn to disguise yourselves, Ryan said. I'm well versed in disguise, Gray said. Just out of practice. But I imagine it's like riding a bike. I'll teach you, Beth. Get good enough and you can go just about anywhere, Ryan said. But if you keep wandering around in public as Grace and Wills and Beth Graves, this is going to be a short adventure. You have to assume you have the full force of the United States intelligence gathering operations arrayed against you. And that's one hell of a scary proposition. Grace saw Beth was teetering. It was all too much. He went to her and hugged her. If there's a bright side, we've made it more than a week, and the first seven days are the hardest. Once we're off the grid for a couple weeks, all the trails start to go cold, and at that point, they have to sit back and wait for us to make a mistake, which almost everyone does, eventually. But we're not everyone else, Beth. Beth looked up at Gray, into his eyes, and though it all felt hopeless, she believed him. Most people made mistakes, but they wouldn't. They weren't most people. She wiped her tears, gathered her tattered courage, took a deep breath, and straightened her back. Then she nodded. Okay, let's do this. We'll find the person we need and tell the world the truth. We'll expose those bastards and destroy them and get our lives back. Gray smiled. He picked up his drink and raised it one last time. To truth and destruction, he said. Ryan and Beth raised their glasses together and joined him. To truth and destruction. Together, they drank to new friendships in troubled times and to the death and destruction of all who opposed them. They had no way of knowing at that very moment as they huddled together in the small cabin in the middle of nowhere. Death and destruction were already in the air streaking through the dark skies toward their targets.